we treat the samples as if they are infective because maybe on the side of the tube there was a, a droplet or something. So we cover the samples according to the World Health Organization, which is three covers. So the sample is in a tube, in a bag, in a box, in a box. Welcome to Science Town, a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet. With every episode, we will bring you cutting-edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Hello, I'm Nicholas DeMille. Welcome to episode 11 of Science Town. The SARS-CoV-2 virus seems to be as relatively unknown as it is lethal. Scientists are racing to understand the mechanisms of transmission, the most effective testing methods, and how we can all cope with the crisis in the meantime. In this episode, we talk to a Saudi doctoral student about the highs and lows of sample collection, and we get an insider's look into the AI that just might give clinicians a leg up in the fight against COVID-19. Talk a little bit about um, how, you know, the the sampling runs work. Yeah, so usually samples from Mecca and from Jeddah are a lot easier because the distance between uh, Kaust and uh, uh, Jeddah is not that much. It's like an hour or two hours. That's Sharif Hala. He's a Saudi doctoral student at Kaust. Over the past few months, Sharif has driven the highways of the western region, collecting COVID-19 samples vital to research efforts at the university. We spoke with him about the challenges of sample collection, endless car rides, and why it's all been worth it. So if it took me like three hours to collect the samples from the hospital, then maybe an hour to Kaust and an hour back, that, that's, that's fine. Now, the problem with Medina is that, as I told you, I'm originally from Medina. So all my family, uh, my parents, uh, uncles, everyone is in, is, in, is in Medina. And as soon as they hear that I'm in Medina, they want me to be with them. Now, this is, yeah, this is the main problem, is that I have samples and I am in the hospital where the pandemic is, so I don't want to see them and I don't want to spend the night in there. But the problem is Medina has been having these a spike of uh, a lot of positive samples. And uh, uh, since I'm from there and I know a couple of doctors in there, it, it was a lot easier for me to collect the samples, get the data from them. So it actually happened twice. So the first time we went to Uhud Hospital with the consultant there, Dr. Fadwa. She was the, the one collecting the uh, uh, material. And uh, the first time I was there around, it, it's about 400 kilometers drive from Jeddah. So about three hours, yeah. So I started driving at like uh, 9 a.m. I get there like 1. And then I leave around 8 or 9 to get to Kaust by 1 a.m. So that's the first time. The second time, the second time, that was the uh, a second spike in Medina. They, they had about 120 samples, and I really wanted to get my hands on them. So I went there at like, uh, I drove around 9 a.m., got there, same, at, at 1. And we just went from one hospital into the other, into the ICU, and just started collecting and collecting. And next thing we know, it's 4.30 in the morning.
when you're transporting them, I guess they're in a medium mm. such that they're fairly safe for you to be transporting. So you're not just some dude driving down the highway with a bunch of uh, <laughs> coronavirus, basically. Yeah, yeah, spraying it just exactly. everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, so basically, we uh, before we started collecting these these samples, we had a choice. You know, being pathogen genomics lab, we know what what materials uh, can in, inactivate uh, any of these of these uh, viruses and bacteria. And there's actually two types of materials. One of them is triazole, and the other one is called DNA-RNA shield. Uh, they have uh, certificates that as soon as you dip any sample in them or a swab or anything, it will inactivate anything inside as long as it's uh, covered, covered completely. Uh, however, we treat the samples as if they are infective because maybe on the side of the tube there was uh, a droplet or something. So we cover the samples according to the World Health Organization, which is three covers. Basically, you take the tube, you drop it in a biohazard bag, and then you put it inside a box, and then that big box goes into a bigger box at the back of my of, at the back of my truck, uh, the the big box which which filled with ice, and then that gets. Uh, put inside a bigger bag of bio of biohazard that is taped, sh uh, taped like with duct tape to the to the truck at the at the back. So basically, it's like four four enclosures. And once we meet with Arnab, he comes in, greets me with like you know full suit of like lab coat, and so we treat the samples as if they are infective, but they're they're not. They're they're completely safe. And then once you hand over those samples, um, what are they being used to do? Okay, so these are um, swab samples, nasopharyngeal swab and or oropharyngeal swab. So our lab basically is um, um, uh, extracting uh, genomic material uh, from them. And we run, initially, we run the exact same test as the diagnostic, the, the, the diagnostic tests that the hospitals in Saudi are doing, just so we know which one is positive, which one is negative, because I'm collecting both, so we can compare. Mainly, there's three different projects that I think that it will help Saudi Arabia, but it will be important for the whole world. Uh, the first one is we're looking at the virus. So in the total RNA that we're extracting, or the total genomic material, there's three different things in there. The first thing is the viral RNA or the viral material. And the second thing is the other bacterial and other microbes in there. And the third is the human or the, or the, or the host. So we devised three different projects to deal with these so we don't waste any of the materials that we uh, sequence, that we identify, basically. The first part, the viral one, we actually used that viral, uh, virus uh, uh, data to look at the transmission map so we know exactly... Uh, where is the case zero in uh, Medina, for example? Uh, who infected whom? Uh, and um, is, does these samples came from Italy or from China or from... That's just the first part. And then we look at the virus mutations and we look at the uh, comparison between the virus mutations and the case uh, status. So if it's a critical case, because I took from intubated patients and I took from asymptomatic patients and I took from different types of patients. So I want to know... Is, is there a relationship between the viral DNA and the... The second part, uh, the second project, if I may say, it's the microbiome. So we want to look at, is there any other bacteria that are involved in the positive samples in comparison to the negative samples? Is there like a bacteria that piggybacking uh, 
uh, like the virus is piggybacking on top of or uh, which there has been suggestions of some type of uh, bacteria, but that's the second one. And then the third one, and we're working with University of uh, Taiba with a guy named Naif Al-Muntashri, who's a Harvard graduate. He's, um, he's a Saudi also. He wants to look at the human mutations. Maybe uh, I have a different mutation that does not allow me to, to uh, uh, beat the, the virus or like survive um, as, 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 as much as you kind. So this is basically, this is why we are um, initially collecting the three samples. Well, thank you, and, and, and uh, we, we all wish you to stay safe, you and your, your family. Um, and uh, we really appreciate you, you talking to us. No problem, no problem, at any time. Thanks. No problem. Science Town, brought to you by Kaust. Uh, my name is Arno, Arno Payne, and I'm a professor of bioscience here in the ESE division in Kaust. A few days back, actually last week, he called me. He said he wanted to bring as many as possible. So he, he eventually arrived at the gate uh, outside you know, the, our visitor center's gate at 1.35 a.m. Professor Arnab Payne is Sharif's advisor, as well as his collaborator on a multifaceted investigation of the SARS-CoV-2 genome. They're racing to see what secrets the virus will cough up in the quest to understand humanity's rather enigmatic little adversary. In fact, he left from Jeddah on the same day, morning to Medina. So he drove all the way, got the material. I was sitting here. I went to to, to collect the box. Then I went, took the carried the material, went to the lab. You know, so I was quite late trying to sort those out, and then came back. Came came home. But from from his point of view, he's actually you know really. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm so impressed, and also you know when I mean I would say he's really running the extra mile to help this project and also to make that this project happen, you know. It, it, it really puts uh, my complaining about working extra hours from my bedroom into perspective, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you know, it's, I mean, we all here together. Of course, you know, uh, to, 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 to me, the uh, real in the real heroes are the, the hospital doctors and patients yeah. and nurses, you know. You get these samples and you go to the lab. So, so what is it you're doing once you get to the lab? So we basically get the RNA out of this material, of the virus. Then we uh, analyze them to see whether they're of good quality, but also the quantity, that how much have we got out of it for, from each sample. And then we are um, testing if they are COVID positive or not. And then what we do is we start the protocol of sequencing. So that means we have to make uh, libraries so that this could be sequenced. So that takes uh, about uh, roughly based on the protocol we are using, so two days of full time uh, working, uh, and then we again evaluate it. How much have we got? And then eventually, uh, uh, it it will go. It hasn't gone yet on on the Illumina uh, or other uh, sequencing technology machines that we have access to uh, uh, in the core lab, the science core lab. And I'm so grateful that. Uh, that the Parsons School Lab uh, have, uh, have opened their door to do this, just this part of the work. So this is, without their help, this would not be possible. 
So as part of that treaty, as you know, that many, myself inclusive, many of our colleagues actually are trying to uh, do as much as they can using their, their expertise and the technologies that they have access to, to, to basically come up with various potential solutions uh, to help uh, research and also help real, to provide some real help in detection of this, uh, this virus. Uh, you know, early. So one of the key things is to, you know, the, the how you uh, identify it quickly, and so that you can isolate the people, uh, the, uh, the affected people, so that they no longer a they get treatment. Well, at least they self isolate themselves yeah. or get isolated in hospital, and also, perhaps let them not transmit the disease. Because sometimes, as you know, that. This, is, this particular virus is unusual in its way that it, you can um, you cannot show any symptom yet you can be a transmitter, which makes life even more difficult for the public health, uh, you know, doctors and other public health officials to kind of you know segregate them. So if we have a, a way of detecting the, that somebody is infected, somebody is carrying the virus, as opposed to the somebody which is clean, yeah. that is so critical, and we have to do it quickly. We have to do it. Uh, sort of uh, quite uh, accurately, and also with uh, relative ease, so that you know it's not should must not involve too much of complicated instrumentation and other protocols. Sir, thank you so much for speaking with us. Um, and, sure. and please, and if uh, you need any further details, uh, feel free. You know, I'm 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 actually available. As you know, tonight I have to probably <laughs> stay until one or two awake. Exactly. For Sharif to arrive. So. You know, I'm available. So, I mean, in case you think that something wasn't explained properly or you want me to rephrase anything, just feel free. No problem. No, it was excellent. And we, we will not call you at 2 a.m., um, but we wish you the best. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, because you have to be also awake. To That's, call right. Me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you Thank very you much. Thank you so indeed. much. We'll talk to you Thank soon. You. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Science Town. So uh, let me start by uh, briefing you a little bit about my efforts on this R3T uh, project. R3T is a KAUST initiative to contribute to researching global challenges, such as the COVID-19 crisis. R3T stands for Rapid Research Response Team, and as you'll hear from team member Professor Shin Gao, there are some fascinating things being done to understand and to try to help through science, engineering, and more. Uh, so on this front, my main project to work on is to develop an artificial intelligence-based diagnosis pipeline from the CT scans of the COVID-19 patients. Interesting. So uh, as you know that uh, this virus is an RNA virus, Mm -hmm. which means it consists of the main components as one single RNA strand plus some proteins. I see. And therefore, in practice, in the ideal case, the gold standard to diagnose this virus or diagnose the patient's should be to detect the nucleic acid sequence or the gene sequence of this virus mm. because this guy contains RNA and proteins. So we should try to detect such things. 
And that's why people all over the world have been using this nuclear acid testing kit as the gold standard. But the experience in China has shown that this kind of approach can generate some surprisingly high false negative rate. And that's not about the testing itself. Very often it's about when and how you take samples from the people and whether you transport or prepare the samples, whether there's any mistakes or errors in the way. But anyways, the final consequence is that the presumably gold standard has quite high false negative rate. Mm. And that's how high are we talking? Uh, in China, they have been reporting something like 30 to 50 percent high, which is ridiculously high. Oh my high. goodness! Yeah, that's nearly half the population. Yes. So, so basically, people, if do this thing properly, they won't have this high false negative rate for sure. For example, our faculty members, when they do this in their labs for sure they will not have this high false negative rate. But during the peak time, they will have to put a lot of inexperienced people to take samples, to transport, and everything is messed up. Exactly. And then they have this very high false negative rate. So, so in practice, what Chinese government has been doing is that they have been adding additional assisting components to this diagnostics in practice. And X-ray and CT scan has been added as the main imaging components to assist this. So then at what point, um, th this seems like it would be incredibly powerful for ensuring better diagnostic results, but then the next question seems to become, is it feasible to have to handle this sort of volume of people uh, doing x-ray and CT scans? Yes. So, so basically, uh, this is not only about diagnostics, but rather also about prognosis and treatment. I see. Because I have been talking to a lot of clinicians in China. What they are saying is that it is critical to not only say that, okay, this guy is a patient, but also say where is the infection area in the lens, which lobes, you know, lens have five different lobes. So which lobes contain the infection? Because what they are saying is that the statistics have shown that if a patient's infection area is more than 50% of the entire lung volume, then very likely this patient will die. Wow. On the contrary, if the infection only happens in one out of the five lobes, then this patient can very quickly uh, recover without much side effects or consequences. Wow. So, and also the way they give medications and treatment depends on a quantity. This 
quantity is what is the percentage of a patient's lung is infected. So we are not only doing this so-called diagnostics or classification of the patients, but we are really using artificial intelligence to segment the exact infection areas from the CT scans of patients' lung. And then we quantify the volumes with respect to the total volume of the lung and give that to clinicians as a guideline to help them to decide what kind of medication they should give to the patients. I see. Okay. So explain that a little bit more. So is it that you're taking groups of cases and basically teaching, uh, doing like a machine learning type of thing where you, you teach it to understand and um, uh, come to a, a more clear picture of what's happening with populations of people? Or are you simply giving sort of percentage-based data that help clinicians make better choices? Okay. That's a very good question. So uh, to the short answer is that we are using and developing machine learning techniques mm -hmm. to teach our computers to do this kind of diagnosis, prognosis, and treatment job. We are obtaining the actual CT scan imaging data wow. from our collaborators in, uh, in China. And also we are... Uh, leveraging our connections with Saudi CDC, MOH, as well as King Faisal Specialist Hospital and Research Center. When a patient is in the hospital and is admitted, then they will conduct multiple CT scans, for example, once every three days to see how the disease is progressing. computers to try to identify the infection areas exactly and quantify the volume. And our goal is to do this, number one, fully automatically without human intervention because we cannot expect those super busy clinicians to help you to interfere your segmentation steps. So fully automatically and secondly, rapid. We want our speed to cope with this exponential growth of this pandemic. So, so secondly, we need it to be very rapid. Yeah. And the third, we need this to be accurate so that we can get, give something that the clinicians can rely on. And the fourth one, which is probably the most important, is we need our system to be machine agnostic. This is very, very important because developing an AI system for the current situation is completely different from our past experience in developing AI system for yeah. other purposes. Yeah. Because for previous projects, I usually spend 
six months up to one year to build a system. And now the situation requests me to build a system in three to five days. So for this particular project, I have invested four of my best people in my group to work day and night. Some of them actually do not sleep. So we work on this day and night, and our goal is to finish the previous one-year amount of work within one week. So we are developing this in days, and also we are getting as much data as possible from different sources, which means they are generated from different patients on different CT machines, from different hospitals, by different radiologists, and using different parameters. So everything are different. And that requests us to develop a very smart pre-processing normalization approach to embed and project all these different data sets into the same space so that our computer won't be biased or confused by different parameters or different machines. And finally, our model becomes so robust such that it doesn't care about which machine it comes from or which parameters you are using. And that's why once this model is built, it can be easily applied on all different kinds of platforms or different hospitals to best benefit the users. This is this is extremely exciting in an unfortunate <laughs> sort of way. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, and it makes me wonder, uh, is this something that you're building that's um, completely brand new? Is there is there some sort of model for this that you're sort of uh, updating and adapting to this new situation? Yes. So uh, I will say this is semi-brand new mm. because what happened is that during the past four months, my group has been developing a similar platform but not for COVID-19, mm. but rather for breast cancer diagnostics mm. and segmentation from MRI data, yeah. for which our goal was also trying to do this in a machine agnostic way and fully automatic manner. And we build upon our very recent experience and adapt the idea and, of course, refine it and optimize it on top of this COVID-19 crisis. So that means our, the ideas are relatively new, which means they are four months old, and they were developed by my group. And we are reusing this idea with some fine-tuning and optimization to quickly build this system to combat this COVID-19 disease. During the past week, I have been trapped in my home and sort of isolated from the rest of the campus. Yeah. And I found myself to be almost mentally ill. I mean, I, I locked myself in my room, in, in my study room, and then, then having meetings after meetings, replying emails, working urgently on this COVID-19 project, yeah. and so on and so forth. And I found that I, 
I cannot focus, I cannot concentrate, I feel so depressed right. and very easily frustrated. So I, I feel myself being not in a normal condition. Right. So I'm not me anymore. And then I decided I cannot live with this. I have to take my kids out for some activities. And maybe after the curfew hours, I can play with them in the backyard uh, to play some soccer or type of activities, which makes me mentally healthy. That's very eloquently put. I, I really appreciate you you being so open about that. That's a very hard thing to deal with. And I, and I think it's something that many people, as you said, around the world are, are coming to grips with now. We really appreciate you, you speaking with us today. Thank you so much. Be safe and take care. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to everyone that took part in this episode. Science Town is produced by Mark Bowes and Alex Arias. I'm Nicholas DeMille. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.